Welcome to Indie Matters. I'm Joey Lovato, the Nevada Independence Multimedia Editor. This week we have another short summer edition of the podcast, but next week we will be back with regularly scheduled and newly structured episodes, so keep your ears peeled for that. Earlier this week, editor John Ralston and reporters Megan Messerly and Jacob Solis sat down with Congressman Stephen Horsford to talk about a host of topics. Horsford is among the minority of House Democrats who have not called for impeachment proceedings to begin against President Donald Trump. We asked him why he was waffling on impeaching the president. I'm not waffling at all, John. Um, I have been very clear from the beginning that uh, impeachment should not be taken off the table. Um, I believe that Congress has a constitutional duty to conduct oversight and accountability of the executive branch. Um, The Mueller report I've read cover to cover um, and watched the proceedings um, two weeks ago in the Judiciary Committee and saw the clips from the Intel hearing. Um, But we still have five pending House lawsuits. I serve on a committee, the Ways and Means Committee, of which we are being sued by the administration regarding tax returns. And I believe that while we proceed to complete the outcomes of that process, one is five lawsuits we don't control when the courts are going to rule. Each one of those are separate dates um, or separate cases that are going to probably be ruled at different times. We may not need all five, depending upon what the court determines and what information comes out. Horsford believes the president obstructed justice. So we asked him how obstruction of justice does not qualify as a high crime and misdemeanor, one of the grounds on which the president can be impeached. Well, um, first, um, there are two volumes of the report. I'm not going to go through it in detail. The first volume is all about Russia. It's not about Trump. The second volume is all about Trump and the actions and behaviors that he committed in really doing stupid stuff that was all about protecting himself and his presidency. Had he allowed Comey and others to just complete their investigation, who knows? But because he interfered in that process um, and did so in such a way to interfere with the federal investigation, you know, Mueller made findings that are very egregious and ultimately will need to be um, acted upon by Congress. It's very clear what what Mueller did, right? He, He said... He doesn't have, as the special counsel, the ability to indict, but Congress under Article I of the Constitution does. So the speaker, having been in that process a long time, understanding both the procedural, the legal, and political ramifications of the process, um, is trying to, I think, achieve the best outcome, which is to make sure that the facts, all of the facts, speak for themselves. We don't have all the facts yet. 
We have the facts from the special counsel, but only the portion of the report or only the information that was included in the report. There's a lot of other information that the special counsel and others had access to that aren't reflected in the report. Still pressing for answers, we asked the congressman whether he would vote against impeachment if the House Judiciary Committee passed articles of impeachment. It depends on what they are, right? Al Green brought an article of impeachment to the floor. That article of impeachment only, it was one article <laughs> dealing with the president's racist words against four members of Congress. Do I believe the president has uh, used racist words? Yes. Do I believe that that was enough at that moment to proceed on an impeachment process? No. That's why I voted to table it. It depends on what the Judiciary Committee puts in any impeachment, um, articles of impeachment resolution. I'm not going to prejudge the, the situation because I have a constitutional duty if I'm going to act on this to do it in the most deliberate um, and thoughtful and introspective way. This has been hard. I mean, believe me, there, there, emotionally there are times where I want to do and say a lot of things. But my job as a representative for this district is not just to act on those impulses. It's to um, follow the process as the Constitution and, and our uh, de democracy requires. But are the lawsuits that have yet to be resolved just a way to delay the impeachment conversation? No. I'm not waiting for all. Look, some of, some of the five lawsuits... Um, are lawsuits that would provide us with the necessary information to confirm some evidence or to clear some questions. Um, without that information or without the conclusion from the courts, I believe that we would be making a premature decision. And so, you know, again, not to overstate it because we're all uh, informed here, right? We have three branches of government, and we have to allow the courts to meet a portion of its responsibility in um, uh, fulfilling our democratic principles, because God knows that the executive branch has failed to do so. Even if those lawsuits end in Trump's favor, he says impeachment isn't off the table. Then, we will, then I will have to make a determination at that time based on whatever information we ultimately have at that moment. The five court cases are one thing. The Judiciary Committee just voted on last Friday to um, get the grand jury investigation materials that, again, Mueller had access to, that Congress has the constitutional right to have. That alone, that, that's not dependent upon what the courts do, um, necessarily. And the Oversight and Government Reform Committee and the Judiciary Committee have, right, um, because the Barr and um, McGahn and Mnuchin re refused to come before the congressional committees, um, we're taking the necessary action to force them to be able to come forward and give that information. Those are not things that 
we have to wait for the five court cases to make a conclusion on. He then went on to respond to the timeline of the proceedings. No, actually, so we get an, a briefing from our House legal counsel virtually every week on the status of the five court cases and any other actions that are pending that relate to our oversight and accountability of the executive branch. And so based on the information that we've been given from House counsel, one or more of those cases could be determined as early as September and October. Some of them could very well go into 2020, um, early 2020. But I'm not saying that I'm waiting necessarily for the outcome of every one of those cases to determine where I will ultimately come out. What I am saying is that I have not taken impeachment off the table, that Congress is currently going through an investigatory process which is about our oversight and accountability functions. We have a number of committees that are doing its work in that regard, and that as more information comes forward that's conclusive, that, that supports the findings that Mueller and others have made, then I will be ready to act to hold this president and anyone else accountable because no one is above the law. Switching gears to healthcare, we asked Horsford about the direction he wants to see healthcare take in the country. The direction we need to be heading in in health healthcare at this moment is to defeat Donald Trump, to prevent the lawsuit, Texas versus the United States, from going forward, which if they rule in such a way that is adverse, could uh, deny pre-existing health coverage to hundreds of millions of Americans and um, potentially, if they rule that it's ruled uh, unconstitutional, completely um, dismantle the Affordable Care Act. So, as I said previously, I believe my number one responsibility is to protect the health care that we have today. That's why on the first day that I was sworn into office this term, I joined in our lawsuit against the administration's effort to take health care away from my constituents and people across the United States. That is the first part. The second part is 70% of people get their health care through employer-sponsored health insurance. I'm not taking that. I'm not voting to, for a plan that takes that away. If people want to opt in to other plans, a public option, I am a sponsor of Medicare X Choice Act, which my colleague uh, Congressman Antonio Delgado from New York has sponsored, and I'm, I'm a co-sponsor of that bill, because it gives people the ability to opt into a very successful health plan, the Medicare plan. Right now, we have a four-legged health care um, stool in that we have employer-sponsored insurance, 70%, Medicare, uh, Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. We need a fifth one. That's the public option, and that's the Medicare X Choice Act that I've signed on to. There are other proposals out there, and the committee I serve on is actually vetting a number of those other proposals. We've had hearings on Medicare for All. We've had hearings on uh, Medicare buy-in, Medicare opt-in. I mean, there's like 10 different proposals out there, and Congress is actually doing the work of vetting which one of these proposals actually makes sense, how much they cost, what the implementation 
would require and who would be covered and who wouldn't. So despite what all the presidential candidates are saying, none of their plans are getting enacted. Congress will determine which one gets enacted. And we're doing the work right now to begin vet, to vet all of these proposals, including the one that I'm currently a co-sponsor of. He goes on to say he would not support a plan the way someone like Bernie Sanders has proposed right now, and then responds to a question by Megan about why health care is tied to employment. I'm not saying that it should. I'm saying that there are reforms that can be made within employer-sponsored health plans. They're not perfect either. But what I do not believe we should be doing is proposing plans for over 70% of the people who have insurance today to disrupt their coverage in order to help give coverage to other people who want it. There's a way to achieve universal health care, protect the, protect the Affordable Care Act, expand on its benefits and coverage, provide a um, public option uh, 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 choice, and make the necessary reforms to employer-sponsored uh, health plans in such a way that where it is portable. So I, Senator Kamala Harris has some suggestions on that. That's the good part of this primary, quite honestly, is that it's forcing them to have to really come up with some creative approaches to distinguish themselves among each other. But the bottom line is, Democrats, we stand for expanding health coverage and working towards universal coverage for all, while the Republicans today are voting to take away health care for millions of people and not offering any plans to replace um, their health care. When asked which candidate's plan he would support, Horsford said, I'm still reviewing all the plans and all of the candidates have a responsibility to be able to articulate how their plans will work better, how they'll be paid for, who will be covered, who it benefits. Look, my job is to represent the people here in Nevada. Overwhelmingly, the people in Nevada, we're fortunate. We had a Republican governor who expanded Medicaid. We've cut the rate of uninsured in half because of it. We have uh, a health care exchange that's actually working. My, the reason I'm supporting the Medicare um, X Choice Act is because one of the challenges we have is in our rural counties, we only have one uh, provider offering coverage. This plan would allow people in those rural counties to be able to buy in, giving them choice, bringing down their premiums. I'm trying to find real solutions that work for my constituents now, not 20 years from now, not 10 years from now. People that I talked to, I was just at DaVita Healthcare yesterday, talking one-on-one -on -one with about 20 patients who are going through kidney disease. Every single one of them from the 30-some-year-old young man to the 70-year-old woman talked about their issues around cost, whether they were under the Affordable Care Act, whether it was Medicaid, whether it was private insurance, all of them are affected by cost. And one of the biggest things that they say is, even if they have good health care coverage, they can't afford the prescription medications. One lady literally told me yesterday she's doing the, the, the blood infusion. She doesn't know how she's going to pay for the medications when she gets out. That's what I think we need to be focused on fixing, and that's why I've been laser focused on it since I got to Congress. The bill I sponsored and which was passed unanimously out of the committee, the SPIKE Act, 
Um, it was passed out of Ways and Means unanimously. Like, that's a big deal, right, to get 40 members of Congress on a committee to agree on something around health care was a big deal. It's one of three components that we as Democrats are working on. One is to hold drug count companies accountable to have more transparency around their costs. The second is to take out the prohibition that uh, denies Medicare from being able to directly negotiate for, for lower cost for, for medications. And the third is to actually cop, cap cost based on medical inflation. Like, these are things we can do right now. I don't need to wait for some magic plan from some candidate running for president. I was elected to do a job for my constituents right now, and that's what I've been focused on doing. Megan asked the congressman about Medicare for all and whether that kind of approach wouldn't be the same as cutting costs for people who still need health care. What I agree principally is we need to be getting the corporate greed out of healthcare. I think we need to start with the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies. Every part of the medical system is not broken and we shouldn't be tinkering with those areas that aren't. <laughs> I talk to doctors and nurses on a regular basis. They feel like educators now. They don't get to do their job. They don't get to treat patients. We talk about the profession of medicine we have a profession of insurance policies and a profession of pharmaceutical um, requirements. That's what we have in this country. And that's what I'm focused on addressing. Look, there are a lot of good um, intentions with Medicare for All in all of their various plans. But I, with all due respect to those proponents, Come spend a day in Congress and tell me how you're really going to get that done. John pressed Horsford on whether it's not only his job to make health care more affordable, but also to fix the health care system. Yes, but I don't think you have to dismantle everything to achieve that goal. Medicare isn't perfect either. It's popular. It's not perfect. Um, it's gotten better over the years. I've got parts of my district where women can't get access to an OBGYN who are in the Medicare program. Why? In rural Nevada, you mean? Mostly in rural Nevada, but actually out in Mesquite. That's not too damn rural. <laughs> and why? Because the, 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 the reimbursement rate for providers under Medicare is so low, OBGYNs won't take them. So what, we're going to put more people in that system without fixing that? That's not making the system better for the people that tell me they can't even get the care they need and they're in the plan. Um, that's why I believe having a plan where you can opt in, have a choice, reform the employer-sponsored plan so that it is portable, allow people to opt in to a Medicare option, but one that is more robust than the one that exists today. Um, we do need to um, secure the Medicaid expansion in the places where it wasn't adopted. There are millions of people today who should be covered and who are not. That's immoral to me. Um, and the health care exchanges, over the last two years, this administration has done everything it could to sabotage 
the, the full implementation, even though it is currently the law. I know they're suing to dismantle it, but until or unless that's determined, they need to be following the law, and they haven't been, and so they've underfunded, under-resourced major elements of the Affordable Care Act. We just passed a bill in the House which would um, increase the tax credits for the health exchanges, which would address a lot of this issue with people on the cliff, particularly like right on that income cliff between Medicaid and the ACA or right above the middle income cliff and, and being able to uh, you know, get 100% of their insurance covered through another means. And so those are the things that we are working to fix. We passed 10 healthcare bills this year to the Senate. Um, I want Mitch McConnell and his graveyard over there to give us our bills. <laughs> you know, that's what's so discouraging this last couple days with the debate. Some of these people are turning on each other. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell just like voted for the 99th federal judge for this administration. And those judges will be there for a lifetime. And they're going to make decisions that are going to undermine not just our health care, but our civil rights, women's rights, human rights, immigrant rights. Like, I just feel like sometimes the focus is on the wrong thing when we are literally under attack by this administration in so many different ways. You mentioned that you want employer-sponsored health insurance to be portable. What does that mean to you? How does that work? It means that, depending upon the plan you're in, that based on your income and your, um, the means, assets, and otherwise that you have, that you will contribute some amount towards your health care unless you are at an income level that you cannot, and or you've negotiated with your employer to have that coverage. I believe that you should be able to see a doctor, a primary care doctor, a specialist, without um, burdensome copays. I believe that you should be able to go to your pharmacist and get the drugs that your doctor prescribed you without having a complicated maze of how rebates work. You should just know this is the cost and it should be affordable. Um, and by affordable, I mean we shouldn't be charged as Americans 10 times or more the cost of the same drug that these same companies are selling in other places. Take insulin, for example, right? This is something that I'm, again, pretty focused on, and um, Senator Ivana Consala worked on this in the legislature, and it, again, aligns with my Spike Act bill. Insulin's gone up 197% since 2004. Insulin in itself is not, a pat it's not patented. It's the injectables. We have three companies that are gouging consumers for profit. Meanwhile, it was the government that actually helped come up with the invention of insulin to begin with, like we have invested in so many other inventions for advancements in pharmaceuticals. Taxpayers deserve a return on investment for that. That should be factored into the cost of our drugs. That should be brought down um, so that 
consumers aren't paying for corporate profits of CEOs. So if you lose your job and your health care, what then? Look at the culinary health plan. It's a great model. You're covered for 90 days after you leave your, leave your job. And if you want to buy into that health plan after those 90 days, or say you're only working 20 hours and not 32 hours, you can pay the difference and keep your health plan. That's portable. You don't have to be tied to a job. You have to be tied to the health plan. But most people like that health plan, and it's one of the best coverage plans other than Clark County that we have here in Nevada. So there are models that work. That's why I voted to repeal the Cadillac tax, a 40% tax on these types of health plans. You know, um, you know, President Obama did a lot of great things. I supported him virtually every way that I could, but one thing I did not support was taxing health care plans that do it the right way, <laughs> that actually have comprehensive coverage, that don't put the burden of the cost on, on the worker, that have the joint labor management partnership and governance structure. Those are the models that work, not just for culinary, for the firefighters, for the carpenters, for you know IBW. Like We have examples throughout of plans that work. Why would we repeal those, or why would we tax those at 40% and meanwhile do nothing to address major corporations that don't have that type of co coverage for their employees? We should not be subsidizing you know, major companies that don't offer health insurance to their employees. That's also why I supported increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, because people deserve a living wage to provide for themselves and their family. And employers who aren't paying that wage, taxpayers are subsidizing their business practices and their business models because their workers are going into our hospitals and our health clinics and getting coverage subsidized by the, by the taxpayer. That's it for our time with the Congressman. Thank you for listening to another Summer Indie Matters episode. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you get podcasts. My name is Joey Lovato, the multimedia editor here at The Indie. Thank you for listening.